Hi, my name is Anne McElhinney. And I'm Phil McAleer, I believe. Got a bit of a hesitation there. Uh, welcome to the Anne and Phil Scoop. It's week 43, that's 10 and three quarter months of the two week flatten the curve lockdown. And this is also, by the way, the 10 week, the 10 year anniversary of the publication of the grand jury report into Dr. Kermit Gosnell. I did not know that. Yeah, it's you kind of interesting. You sneaked that in. Uh, I sneaked that in and you didn't even know that. So, yeah. um, but, but funny, that's something we'll be revisiting that um, issue with. We have an interesting project we're going to be doing. So you'll, yeah. you'll want to hear that. Not today. Um, and later today, we'll be talking to the great Sarah Carter yes. about the atmosphere. The journalist Sarah, the, Car Sarah Carter. About, about the atmosphere in Washington and the latest trove of declassified documents. From Obamagate, yeah. So Trump has declassified them, yeah. So and obviously it's the inauguration week and so, you know, some people, maybe including ourselves, have been trying to find entertaining ways of distracting ourselves away from all the politics. And it's not easy, but we'll give you a little um, tour around what we found on the entertainment sphere. Yes, and Ireland now has the highest rate of the Chinese coronavirus infection, the highest rate of infection on the planet. On the planet. And guess who is to blame? Yes. Right-wingers, of course. Of course, of course, of course, of course. And Houston, you have a problem with Trump leaving the White House. And we're, uh, we're filming this just before the inauguration. So with Trump leaving the White House, uh, who are the mainstream media planning to blame for the Chinese coronavirus? Because you can't blame uh, the President Biden. Yes, you've guessed it. Uh, governors, but not just any governors are no. to blame. It's only no. certain types of governors. Only certain types of governors. Wait, guess who? Who, who do you think? Of? Who could it be? Republican governors. Yeah, Did it. I win? Yes, we'll talk Thank about that you. later. And we'll talk to Brian Godawa about the movie Run, Fi Run Hide, Fight, which is, has an unusual distribution model, which we're very in favor of. And Phelan will try to explain why Jill Biden is Dr. Biden more than Ben Carson is Dr. Ben Carson. Or, or Dr. Ron Paul is never Dr. Ron Paul. And Dr. Ron Paul is never Dr. Ron Paul. Well, but we'll talk about that later. And you wanted to see the cats, and we've got a lot of mail about the cats, so we will be bringing the cats to you. Um, and we don't have a recipe today, but we have a recipe to make cats happy. Ding, ding. Um, and we have a little corona giggle at the very end. So quite a lot going on. But we're yes. going to start today with Sarah Carter, yes. um, an interview that we did with her earlier. Yes, so Sarah is a... A, a brilliant uh, journalist based in DC. She's a contributor to Fox News. She's, she, she, she cut her teeth covering all the wars and now she's covering the war in DC. So let's, let's go over to Sarah and uh, hear what she has to say. So we're joined now by Sarah Carter, who's a, a friend of the program. Um, Sarah has worked for almost every major news outlet in America including the Washington Examiner, USA Today. She's covered uh, the war in Iraq, uh, the wars in Afghanistan. She's worked in Pakistan. She was at that for almost a decade. She's now based in the, the DC area, uh, covering covering the wars that are going on there. Yes. And, uh, you know, uh, I, I, I first we first really came across her when we uh, did the FBI Lovebirds play and Obamagate. And she really has been at the forefront on covering the Obamagate um, scandals, and I think it's, I mean, we'll get on to this, but it's very interesting. The diff they're complaining about how Trump is reacting to the incoming uh, Biden administration. At least Trump isn't planning a spying operation against the incoming uh, Biden operation, but perhaps he should. But uh, we'll, we'll get on to that in a but moment. But welcome, welcome to the program again. Thanks so much for being on, Sarah. 
Oh, thank you so much for having me on. It's so great to be back with both of you. And I love looking at the photograph of the beach behind you. It's just, <laughs> it's cold here. We just got back from Florida. So it was so nice and warm there. I called it the free state of Florida. I was going to say, there's a little bit more that's nice about Florida than, than just the weather right now. How, how are things, how crazy is DC? We're seeing these crazy photographs with the flat, you know, just crazy photographs. What's the atmosphere like there? It feels like the city's just um, empty, roads are shut. It almost feels like an enclosure. I, t I tell everyone this, you know, you mentioned my work in Afghanistan and Pakistan, and I covered ISIS in Iraq. Well, in Afghanistan, the forward operating bases that I would stay at, I stayed at a multitude of forward operating bases as I covered the war. That's basically an area that's cordoned off, you know, with barbed wire, it, it, the, the troops stay inside the base and then they're deployed from the bases, right? Out into the battlefield. Usually the biggest base would have around 1,100 to 1,200 soldiers on the perimeter in Washington, DC, just so that you can grasp this because you're not here. There are 25,000 National Guards. So the biggest forward operating base in Afghanistan, the actual parameter being guarded you know, for that base is around 1,100 to 1,200 troops. And what we're seeing here is 25,000 and with streets shut off. I have a friend who works at the Department of Labor. She was driving to work. She got pulled over. Um, she said she was terrified, you know, and then there's checkpoints where you have to show your IDs and explain yourself and why am I here? And mm -hmm. I'm going to, uh, I'm going to the office. If, it doesn't eat, it feels surreal. It does not feel like America. There's no, absolutely no basis for any of this, is there really now? Right. I mean, there was there was a hundred, hundreds of thousands of people in DC on January the 6th. Uh, some thousand of those stormed the Capitol, but th right. that's not going to happen. Like there is no, there's no um, vast right-wing conspiracy in DC. I mean, they're more likely to storm the cocktail bars and, uh, <laughs> No, you're you're right. I was there actually on January 6th. I was meeting a friend of mine, actually Gary Brugman, who was pardoned by uh, President Trump. He was a former U.S. Border Patrol uh, agent, and he waited 20 years for a pardon. Um, and he he's an amazing human being who was resilient and and pushed his you know his way through life. I mean, living with this burden on his shoulders. So I said, okay, I'm gonna go down there and meet you, even though it was this crazy day, and everybody said just stay out of the city, don't go into the city, it's gonna be wild. And I went down there about 10 a.m., I met with Gary, I met with some friends of mine from Houston, Texas. Uh, they were all heading to the White House to meet with somebody there who had helped get the pardon set up, not to meet the president. Um, and I went along with them. I walked through the crowd, people were kind, they were nice, there was no feeling as, and I'm, I'm being perfectly honest with you, as a journalist, who has covered war, who has covered dangerous situations. Of course, because there were so many people, there's always that idea that something could go wrong. I'm always kind of hyper aware, you know, could something go wrong? This is really strained times. Hopefully there's enough security because you don't want something to go sideways. You don't want somebody to put a pipe bomb or for the crowd to start running because people can get trampled on. Anything can happen that is unexpected, right? In a situation like that. But people saw me and they said, Sarah, and they were waving. I'm so happy you're here. I can't believe you're walking in the middle of the crowd. And 
you know, some people we did video. Um, I saw the president's caravan leave as we were heading towards the White House. Um, I could see the president's uh, car and uh, his security leave as they were heading to speak. And everything for the most part was very calm, reasonably, nobody, I didn't see any, um, I didn't see anything aggravated. I didn't see any hyper aggravation from the crowd or anybody moving in any direction. So we went into the White House. In fact, I didn't even know until after I had left and, and I started noticing vehicles coming into the city that something actually went wrong at the Capitol building, that people had actually entered. And it was when I turned on the, um, the news on the radio in the car with the people I was with. So what I'm trying to say is that what we saw was of course, it's terrible. We don't wanna see loss of life. Five people lost their lives that day. Um, uh, you know, a Capitol Hill police officer and uh, of course an Air Force veteran of 14 years, Ashley Babbitt. It was horrific, that's sad. But we saw as well over the summer, you know, over 25 people lose their lives in rioting. We saw cop cars being burned down. We saw cities being burned down. We, you know, we saw, governments, dem mostly democratic governments, let's talk about it, Oregon, Seattle, you know, the local state officials doing absolutely nothing to quell the violence in Kenosha, in, um, in Chicago. How many times do we see young people losing their lives? I've never seen this kind of show of force to protect anyone except lawmakers who say, we don't need walls, we don't need guns, but yet they surround themselves with guns and walls. And now apparently they're planning on making those walls permanent. Uh, they're gonna be passing a bill, a resolution to wall off the, the Capitol. So this is just in a week, folks. This really is just in the few weeks of the Biden administration. Imagine what it's gonna be like. You know, just to let everyone know, by the way, we're just recording this prior to, you know, we're, we're reporting this before the inauguration. Um, right. which is happening, which is happening later. Um, but that yeah, even, even the National Guard now are being purged. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah, so so they know. Well, we, what we know is two National Guardsmen have actually been removed. Um, that's on my website at sarahcarter.com where you can read those stories. But two National Guardsmen apparently are connected to a fringe group. This is what's interesting, though. The Associated Press will not explain what fringe group this is. We, we don't have the information. So they report this story. We don't have the names of the National Guard members. We don't, we don't know what fringe group they may be associated with a real radical group, who knows, but they don't tell us. We have no idea. Wouldn't you think if somebody was associated with a fringe group, you would want to get the word out? Uh, you would want people to know? If you're a National Guardsman and you're a member of BLM, right. which has been behind destroying cities, including Santa Monica here, and they tried to destroy Venice as well, but they were stopped. Right. Uh, does that... Uh, this, does that constitute this, a... Disqualify uh, you? Yeah. I mean, it looks like... I mean, it's just people making lists over in DC at the moment. It's a, it's a weird atmosphere. They're settling scores and making lists. And when they can't find people to settle scores with, they just they seem to be inventing or extrapolating. That's exactly it. And I think you brought up a really good point. You know, where is the list that we can see that the government is utilizing to basically remove people who took an oath? Let's talk about this. Our National Guardsmen, our troops, uh, and, and the people who serve this country take an oath to defend the Constitution from both foreign and domestic threats, right? They take that oath. They are 
doing their job. They are called to duty. How insulting is it that we have congressional members, uh, the FBI, shaking down our military personnel like we have never seen before, publicly stating, I mean, we can look at one of the congressmen who said 75% of these white male you know, members of the uh, military uh, voted for President Trump, like they should not be trusted. What kind of divisiveness is this? It's really, it frightens me to think of how they treated uh, these, these, these members of our military. And I, I wanna tell you, you know, my husband is a, a wounded war veteran. He served in Afghanistan. He lost his eyesight. We have had friends that have lost their lives, who've mm -hmm. lost their legs, who've lost their arms, who've lost their minds you know, um, serving our nation in the war. And to say how, I mean, how insulting is this to say that they cannot be trusted to protect the president of these United States? Mm -hmm. I don't understand where this is coming from and I don't understand why they are doing this and how far these lawmakers wanna go. But that type of divisive talk and that type of behavior I think is very inflammatory and very dangerous. I would never think that way about another American, particularly someone who serves this nation. Of course, there's always an anomaly, but that's not, that's not, that's not our truth. If you want people who are threatening the nation and threatening, you know, the leadership and, you know, just go on Twitter and look at Alec Baldwin, who, you know, is open, openly fantasizing about assassinating Donald Trump. I think he wants to hang him hang him from a tree with COVID masks. Donna who wanted to blow up the White House. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, you know, all of the Johnny Depp who joked around about killing him, you know, and assassinating him, um, you know, on stage in front of a large audience. And you know, BLM attacked the White House and everyone joked about Trump fleeing to a bunker. And, and instead right. of declaring BLM, you know, a threat, they, they named the plaza after them. And, and people are afraid to say the truth. People are afraid to talk the truth and, and hold people accountable. And I don't even understand why. Why are, we, why are we succumbing to this type of behavior? Anytime somebody says something and points out a fact, it's like the left will come in and charge that person. It's, it's almost like you said, they make lists, right? This is our enemies list. And anyone who speaks out, we're now going to target them. Uh, we're going to call them uh, racist. We're going to call them white supremacists. We're going to give them a name. We're going to say they're conspiracy theorists. It's like you can't even question anything anymore. Senator Rand Paul, who is a doctor, came out the other day and said, you know, why? Look, I had COVID. Me and my whole family, we all had COVID. We spent two weeks on lockdown. It was a bit of a cold, it was a bit bad, but it wasn't anything like I've ever experienced. It was, I, I'm just being honest with me, yeah. thankfully, thank God. You know, I know other people have had horrible experiences with it, I'm not taking that away. But for me and my family, it was like, we lost our sense of smell and all of that, but we didn't, it wasn't, we weren't hospitalized, we got better. Um, but now we're both, we can't receive it and we can't give it. So, Rand Paul says, for, for people who are immune right now, why are they walking around with masks on? We can't even ask that question. Because no. the minute we ask that question, all of a sudden we're insensitive to society. We, you know, we're asking the wrong questions. We should be willingly giving up of ourselves. That's really frightening to me as well, because 
I can't ask a question about COVID. I can't ask a question as a journalist about the election. I can't ask any questions because the minute I ask a question, they, the left, which is owned, the media, big tech, and the majority of the media are sided with the left. I call it the leftist. I don't even say this is our father's Democratic Party. This is not yeah. the Democrats of the past. This is some kind of offshoot. They will immediately target uh, anyone who speaks out, either remove them from the platforms or call them conspiracy theorists. So I think this is really something that we have to deal with. Thinking forward, unfortunately, into the uh, into the future, we're going to have this uh, Biden and Harris um, administration. And you talked about lists. It feels like they have a list, and they're 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 knocking off you know all these groups that they want to uh, appease or appeal to. And uh, we thought it was curious the the choice of the assistant health secretary. With, with the choice of, of this woman, um, Dr. Rachel Levine from, um, from Pennsylvania, who has not, uh, her behavior during the COVID uh, crisis was a little bit um, inconsistent, let's say. I mean, she was, she was presiding over a situation where um, she was forcing old people who had recovered from COVID to go back into nursing homes, but she didn't think that maybe her mother should be part of that. Can you tell us about that yeah. story? So her 95-year-old mother, she removed from the nursing home while other, you know, elderly patients were suffering and being exposed to COVID. These are the most susceptible patients, right? So this is the thing. For the people that are most susceptible, people in my family who yeah. are older or who have diabetes or, you know, you want to do your best to protect them. And that is, that is the right thing to do. But explain to me how someone is getting nominated to the deputy health secretary, right? When people in Pennsylvania were up in arms over how she handled this, over how she protected her own family and put others at risk. I think you and I, Sarah, both know why she was chosen and perhaps the pronoun her, she, um, deserves an explanation for the people listening who maybe don't know who Dr. Levine is. Because she is transgender. And, and let's just, you know, that's, that's, that's just a fact. Mm -hmm. And that's how it's being reported. First, transgender, transgender, transgender. I don't care if she's transgender. I don't care if she's a man. I don't care if she's a woman. People were at risk. People actually died and were exposed to COVID. And for some reason, she felt that something bad could happen because she removed her 95-year-old mother. Yeah. before. Because if you were thinking... If you were thinking, no, what I'm doing is absolutely fine. It's if nobody's going to be exposed, why would you all of a sudden remove your mother from yeah. from the from yeah. the facility, right? I think Joe Biden. I mean, it's kind of extraordinary. It's almost like it's sort of to me. It feels very juvenile that they yes. want to be first, 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 first. We've got the first this, first that. Right. So they're almost like they've got these, um, you know, positions in the cabinet or positions in the administration or the executive that need filling. And it's like, okay, what have we not done yet? Yeah. What have we not got yet here, you know? And it's every progressive group that they're trying to appeal to. Uh, I mean, someone is probably going to come across the border tonight um, that's going to get appointed, yes. for example, um, but they have tomorrow. To, but they have to be vegan. But a vegan, trans, a, a vegan illegal immigrant, you know, um, disabled, what, disabled with some other kind of things going on. Dyslexic. But, dyslexic. Very important community. Um, Seven 
to 9,000. And I was talking to sources in Guatemala. I've traveled to Guatemala frequently over the last few years. I spent a lot of time um, in Mexico um, during my coverage. When I was a younger journalist, I spent a lot of time both in and out covering immigration as well as our national security on the US-Mexico border. We have seven to 9,000 people in this caravan that have flooded from Honduras or, and coming from other places like El Salvador across the Guatemalan border. When they came through, there were only 300 actually filed the appropriate paperwork with the Guatemalan government. I spoke to gu sources in Guatemala. The rest waved through the police line and sent a statement. These people are being used by all the governments involved here, ours and theirs. They are being manipulated. They are putting their own children at risk and themselves at risk on this long journey to the United States. They have been told and well-rehearsed, promised that Joe Biden, uh, the president-elect, soon to be president and president now when everyone sees this, President Biden has promised them entry into the United States. It's unfathomable what is happening. And the only people that are gonna benefit from this is not the American people, not the people coming in from Central America. This is abuse at its greatest, right? It's going to be the only people that are gonna benefit is the government here, the people that are making money off of this or the people in power and the drug cartels and the human traffickers and the child traffickers and those people that are taking advantage and lining their pockets with money, trafficking people into the United States. It just perpetuates a horrible behavior. Uh, can I ask a question? I mean, it's, I think, <clears throat> you know, and you and I, we're, meet, we're meeting the same kind of people. Um, people are very upset. An awful lot of, all, as you say, awful things are happening everywhere. This tech stuff is terrible. Um, and some of this Biden stuff that's going to happen on the first day, extraordinary, awful stuff. However, you know, do you see, can you offer us any possible silver lining, any possible light that you see in this extraordinary situation we're in right now? I think people are resilient anywhere in the world and from anywhere in the world. And I think we know the difference between being taken um, on this you know, this ride, I think right now we're in, we're in dangerous territory that we've never really seen before in our country in modern times. The silver lining for me is the constitution and the basic freedoms that this nation has stood for. It's the reason why people have come from all over the world. It's the reason why my mother came from Cuba. It's the reason why people seven to 9,000 are on their way here to this country because they believe in fundamental values, right? We hope and a justice system that will stand up for them. If for some reason, you know, this nation is going through a transition, I do believe that it will find its way back. I don't believe, I, it's hard, I know. Mankind, we have existed now, right? We have survived, we have built city states. We have found ways to live with each other and, um, and, and, and advance in science and technologies and all of these things. I mean, I'm going way out there. Yeah. I don't believe this is gonna be the end of our nation. I believe that it's a transition, it's gonna be difficult, but I don't believe that the American people will stand by, even the ones that voted for Biden, I hope not. I mean, I suppose when we've got great Republicans like say that. great Republicans like Liz Cheney and Mitt conservatives, Romney. Conservatives like Liz Cheney, that kind of leadership. Hope, you know, there's, there's great hope there, right? She's been censured in Wyoming and uh, they want her removed from her position on the GOP. 
as a leader in her leadership position. And I think she will be removed. And I don't think she'll be reelected in the, in the great state of Wyoming. I think that she has a very serious problem on her hands. Look, this is the one thing that I say, what we're seeing now, and you're right, I, I don't know how to express, I'm afraid, and I shouldn't be as an American to express myself, to be on the phone with sources. You know, there is a part of me that's like, am I being listened to? What's happened in this country? Am I gonna say something that's gonna put me on a list? Is the FBI gonna open some kind of investigation into me and think that I'm radical just because I'm standing up and questioning what's happening here? That's pretty frightening for me yeah. to feel this way as a journalist. As a journalist, this is where I agree with Glenn Greenwald, you know, who started The Intercept. I think he's brilliant. Um, and I think that what he's saying is very true. You know, targeting Americans and ostracizing 74 plus million Americans as terrorists, this is what the left is doing. What the left is doing is very dangerous. But I appeal to the better part of our humanity mm -hmm. that even if we have friends that are Democrats, even if we have friends that didn't like President Trump, that we reach out to the better part of our humanity and say, look, we can't allow the left or anyone else to divide us as a nation. We need to find common ground, even if they are not. Yeah. Even if they are not, we need to find a way to, to get past this because the, the alternative, the alternative is far worse. Yeah, you talked there about Glenn Greenwald and that, and that kind of brings us on to Julian Assange. Uh, Greenwald, I think was one of the first journalists to to carry Assange's and WikiLeaks material. Um, I don't know how exactly you feel about Assange, but, and, and you know, you can, you, can have, you can have mixed feelings, but still there's a principle I think involved here. Like Assange did a, did a bad thing in some respects, leaking, those, um, leaking a lot of that material from, from the war. But the, but the issue is Assange is a journalist. Assange is right. an, an information disseminator. Disseminator. Know, disseminator. He has no. He has no legal responsibility. You know, he. You know, there's moral responsibilities and there's ethical, but he has no legal responsibility to keep American government secret. He never swore an oath. So this Hillary Clinton, uh, Joe Biden, Obama prosecution and persecution of Julian Assange. Uh, is going on and it was one of the disappointments of the Trump DOJ that that they continued this it's it is an attack on journalism because they're now saying that journalists are legally liable if they uh, uh, work with a source to to get government secrets there can there's no clearer case to me how do you feel about that and what do you think the chances of Trump pardoning Assange in the next we're, we're, well, this yeah. is just before the inauguration. So. He's, he's got 24 hours to pardon Assange. Um, I know that there's been a significant effort among supporters of Assange to get that pardon uh, from President Trump. And I agree with you. I think that, uh, you know, I've, I've had a long time to think about this. You know, um, I did have mixed feelings about what's, you know, what is the appropriate thing, you know, the documents, uh, did they put people's lives in danger? Did they expose uh, particular sources or subsources or information that could have put the US national security at risk? Maybe, but this is the thing. He is not, he never signed on to protecting any classified documentation. He was operating as a publicist and as a journalist and trying to get information out to the public. And I think it was even more fascinating that he actually had contacted the State Department 
we've heard those um, those tapes now. Uh, those tapes were handed over to actually to Project Veritas. That was interesting from the State Department that he contacted the State Department and said, I have all this documentation um, uh, that is going to go public. I wanted to give you a heads up on what's happening here. I don't, you know, and he tried to work something out with the United States government mm -hmm. before those documents went public. So he did reach out. Uh, I am terrified of the reach that the Obama administration had and the expansion of their powers mm -hmm. into our privacy. The Constitution, the Fourth Amendment, guarantee that we will, there will be no unreasonable search and seizure, right? As Americans, we expect that when we pick up a phone, as long as we're not anybody who has a warrant or that they didn't go to a judge, that we can make a phone call and talk to one another. And you know what? We may not always say things the right way. We may not, we may be angry. We may be talking in the heat of the moment. My fear now is as a journalist is like, how far will they go? We know that the Obama administration spied on the Associated Press. We know that they spied on James Rosen and his family from Fox News. We know that the expansion of these powers exists now under Biden because now all they have to do is say that domestic terrorists, right? Well, we know, we know, we know they spied on the Trump campaign and the Trump presidency. Right. I mean, you know, I, you know, Assange is an interesting case because I'm sure if your husband and his buddies met Mr. Assange in a bar, they may not, um, not that your husband, but you know, serving soldiers in a war situation and there he is dropping videos about them. Absolutely. And Chelsea Manning, you know, was pardoned, right, by Obama. Right. Let's just be honest. You know, right. Manning was pardoned by Obama. Manning dumped all of that information into the lap of Julian Assange. And Manning was the one that violated the U.S. law. That's right. Not Julian Assange. Manning was the one that did it. And as for soldiers, any great soldier or any troop, anyone who serves their country, would do so with dignity and should do so with dignity and care for the other people. When you're in a war zone, that does not give you an excuse to violate the law or to break the law. People matter. You know, our government relies on our troops to do the right thing and they are trained in land warfare rule of law. And you can't violate that. So, you know, that's the important thing to remember here that they, the part where there may be disagreement are people that work, they don't want to be exposed, right? They don't want a name to come out or a subsource. Maybe you're working in the intelligence community and you have a source in Pakistan and that name happens to be in one of those documents. You don't want to see your source killed or executed by the government. You want to make sure to be able to protect those documents. But remember, Julian Assange wasn't the one that went in there and got those documents. This is just my opinion. The reason so many people have fought for Assange, even if they're not comfortable with him, even if they're not comfortable with the way he's handled things, is because we realize that that creep, that mission creep, comes right into our lives. The minute you do this to Assange, it's going to happen to you. The reason that this is going on so much is because Assange dumped Hillary Clinton's emails as well. And this is deep state DOJ actors getting revenge for him for exposing Hillary's emails as well. There's got to be an element of that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, shame on the DOJ, by the way, for not rooting out these deep state people who are basically carrying Hillary Clinton's 
water and Obama's water into this presidency. Right. And look at what they've already done and look at what's already happened. We've never had any uh, balance. We've seen the DOJ and the State Department and others, but particularly the DOJ, the buck stopped at the DOJ to hold people accountable, to make people who broke the law actually pay some kind of a price, you know, uh, and we haven't seen that. We haven't seen that at all. The only one is Kevin Kleinsmith, and we don't even know, and he was the lawyer that signed the, the basically altered the FISA, the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act warrant um, on Carter Page, and, but that was it. So what has been the lesson learned here in Washington? There hasn't been. And the American people are the ones that are paying for it. And I would say not just the American people, but the rest of the world, because the world is going to significantly change in the next four years because of what's happened here. There was a visitor in your room while you were talking, and I think people will want to know who the visitor was. There was a little doggy that came in and out there. Who is that doggy? What's that doggy's name? I've got two of them here. I've got Picolola. She is my Shipu. And she's a, she's, and this one. <laughs> Come here. That's the one. This is the Chihuahua that I'm watching. Her name, she, she's actually my brother-in-law's dog. I'm watching her because he's oh. ill, but she, she has a permanent tongue that sticks out. Oh, poor That's darling. So and usually she lifts her little ears straight up. But she's like, now I, I hear she doesn't want to go back to Doug. She just wants to stay uh, with me. I think that's you extrapolating. She kept, walking, she kept walking in and out when you were there. So I thought we better, we better mention her. Sarah, it was really lovely talking to you. We look forward to seeing you. We look forward to seeing you in D.C. soon, one of yes. these days. And uh, we're hoping and, for... Oh, and we, we'll tell you about our latest project. Oh, yes. We have to talk about our latest project. We'll do that uh, the next time. Mystery. Mis okay, mystery. you got it. You got right. it. Thank you. Thanks, Thanks so much, much, Sarah. Bye. Okay, bye-bye. Bye. Bye-bye. Oh God, that was great. That yes. was really great. Uh, we love Sarah and we're really grateful to her to, for the time because yes. I know this is a very, very busy week for her. So yes. we were, were really impressed. Wonderful. But I mean, this is the inauguration week and I know an awful lot of people out there are, you know, are, having, are struggling a little bit and yeah. are trying to get away from politics and are mm -hmm. trying to find distractions. And you know what? We decided to do a kind of a tour of available entertainment um, at this particular time to see, you know, available distractions to see you know, where can we get distracted where there isn't politics? And we tried, and we really tried, and it's yeah. interesting. So we turned on the TV the other night, film, right? Yeah. We watched, was it The Good Doctor, was it, film? Yeah, The Good Doctor. The Good Doctor, which is, is a procedural, it's a TV drama, medical drama, and the main character is a, is a doctor who has autism, but he's super, super talented. Mm. And they had the most oddest story of all time. Well, it's only odd because they were trying to st stick stupid politics into it and the one thing with the good the one thing with these procedurals was they used to have be relatively free of politics remember house like he was he was yeah. a, he was awful like he was i mean in a good way he didn't care Remember, what color people were well, or yes, said disabilities yes. he would just treat everyone with the same disdain yes and arrogance so the good doctor the, the the plot line was that a woman wanted an abortion a trainee oh yes sir yeah that yeah a woman, woman wanted, wanted an abortion. abortion and the head doctor says to you, you're doing it, and the woman so the says, "And the woman says, oh, 'Oh, I'm a Christian. I can't do that.'" And uh, this causes. I think she's almost she's suspended. She's fired. By the way, which is untrue. She's actually put on cleaning duty. No, 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 she's not. Oh, sorry. She's she's suspended. You know, it's, it's created enormous trouble, and uh, you know, she she's basically blackmailed. And by the way, this is not even true because I think in most hospitals they have a conscience clause where you you're not forced to do things that you're not for that you don't want to do from your conscience point of view. So she eventually is put under so much pressure 
uh, that this will affect her rating and her references, that she agrees to do the abortion and uh, is doing the abortion and freezes and is unable to complete the abortion during it. And there's this big drama in the uh, operating room. And uh, then she's put on cleaning duty. Then she's punished and you know her future is in, 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 in danger. So then she goes to the doctor at the in end. Charge, yep. In charge, yeah. In charge, and the doctor suffering from PTSD. It's a long story. Uh, it's not that interesting. And uh, explains to her that she the reason she was so unable to do it was because she was personally invested, this Christian. And this Christian explained how that she was pregnant and she had chosen... Uh, as she said, medicine over motherhood. And let's hear the little speech that she gives. I chose my career over motherhood, over my faith. But I don't regret it. And I know God forgave me because I get to be here living my dream of being a doctor. God would understand. God, God understands. And you see, this... this plays into this trope. There's this um, urban legend that goes around, and yet you get it at all, uh, all these pro-abortion people in, in cities all over uh, um, America, and you can check it out online. There's this urban legend where they always tell this story about this, or uh, that the people are protesting outside their clinic. One of them, normally it's the pastor, comes to them and says, I, I need, you know, and she thinks, oh, it's going to be a competition. No, I need your help. My 16-year-old daughter's pregnant. And they arrange an abortion for this 16-year-old daughter. They are, these stories circulate. No one ever has any evidence that they're true, and they're all the same. And this is another. Uh, I mean, they chose this. They made this person a Christian. She wouldn't do an abortion because she's a Christian, but she's done one for that Hollywood reason. Remember, Michelle Williams got oh, up yeah. at, the, at the at the Oscars and said, "If it wasn't for my two abortions, I wouldn't have achieved this wonderful success yeah. of winning an Oscar." Of winning an Oscar, right. yeah. Wow. Bully, gully, bully for you. Yeah. But I, I, the idea of I, you know, so we we so TV full of politics. I mean, can you say another thing? Rookie, the Rookie, my one of my favorite cop shows. They were brilliant last season. They actually, the, the, the chief villain was a black detective who was corrupt. He was oh, working yeah. for the Armenian mob. Yeah, yeah. And then suddenly with um, BLM. BLM, now they've suddenly gone, and they were quite funny, and they were quite, it was always a funny series. You never took it that seriously. Now they've become really, really, everyone's racist. Oh, and there's a racist cop in it. And it's like, like you're ruining the rookie. Yawn, yawn. And yeah. then I thought, you know what? I found out that the, um, the Met in New York, the Met had a, has come up with an idea. They've, they've teamed up with Verizon to, uh, to, give, to give people and something for the pandemic and all of that. And it's called the Met Unframed. And so you download the Met Unframed on your phone and then you walk around the Met Gallery, right? Yeah. <laughs> and I thought, well, actually, I really genuinely, I, th I, I looked at that, I thought, that's a really nice idea. So you go into that, and by the way, this reminded, we, we did a part of this story one time before, by the way, but this is a new initiative from the, from the Met. You walk into the first room on this sort of virtual tour, the Great Hall, where there are two works by Kent Monkman, who has featured on this show before, welcoming the newcomers. And there's a game identifying aspects of the painting related to racism and colonialism. Yeah, so these pictures, this painting is done in this kind of classic European style, sort of grand, grandiose, uh, with a figure looking off in the distance. But it's, and, and you, you run your, little, your finger over the little app, and it, every part of the painting is, is an homage to wokeness, and and wokeness and more um, and more wokeness and more wokeness. I mean, and there's and at the very front, and we're showing you now that the very front of the picture, and they get you to identify this. There is Miss Chief Eagle Testicle, who.
who is gender fluid, representing the Cree, who apparently didn't really dig the whole male-female binary yeah, thing. Yeah, this one's called, what was it called? Welcome Welcoming the new newcomers. Yeah, so... And you've got all kinds of refugees oh, yes. in there. And, and, and on the water, just off the side of the boat, is 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 this Velcro shoe, you know, and it stands out because it's not, it's, a, and it's they, supposed and to be set 300 years ago and there's a Velcro shoe. And the shoe is... The, Repre representing the yeah, the death of refugees trying the, to try, uh, migrants trying to get to a better land, you know, and being treated so, and being treated really badly. So yeah. that's how the Met open. That's how that that whole exhibition. So now we can't even enjoy art. So you can't even can't enjoy, enjoy art. TV. You can't enjoy art. And then I thought, you know what? What about music? You know what? A bit of pop music. Wouldn't pop music be a great place to escape from all the politics? Should we know politics there? And then I was sort of reading in the New York Times, as you do. Climate change burns its way up the pop charts. And here's wow. the important bit of this story. And it's one of these guys who's done an analysis, and I'm trying to think what his name is, Kendra Philly Pierre-Louis. He says he counted at least 192 references to climate change in the billboard charts. 192 references, 20, 26 of which appeared just last year. Um, and he pared it down to the 10 influential, but you know, basically, so climate change. And then I thought, you know what? Okay, not pop music at least classical music. But I mean, you start reading about classical music now and here's the headlines. If you put in classical music and you look up classical music right now, here's what you find in the headlines. It's time to let classical music die. That's from New Music USA. NPR says, why is American classical music so white? The New Yorker says, black scholars confront white supremacy in classical music. Classic mm. FM says, is classical music racist? The Washington Post, classical music is finally reckoning with racism. Did you, I bet you didn't know that. So, you know, even in classical music, you can't get away from wokeness. And then I thought, you know what, why don't we just cook? Why don't we just cook? And I get this, you know, a newsletter from the New York Times with recipes, which I adore. Um, and they're in their cooking section, they have what to cook in a changing climate. Hmm. Good morning. The science is clear. The planet is warming. The fact, the fact, this fact can leave a home cook paralyzed at the stove or in the marketplace, choosing between the lamb and the tofu. Can you believe this? Our best, and then another headline from the New York Times, our best recipes for climate-friendly cooking. You cannot escape this stuff. I, I, then we tried for podcasts, and I literally went for a walk the other day, and I randomly listened to a Wondery on Wondery, which is a big uh, platform, a big podcast platform. Just bought by Amazon. Just bought by Amazon. And they have a series called Imagined Life. And the idea of it is, is that you listen to a story of a, of a famous person. And the one thing that they don't include is who the person is. And all the time that you're listening to the details of the person's life, you're guessing who the person is. And on Christmas Day of this year, they had a special episode of Wondery, Imagined Life, so, so they number facts, 13. Yes. And you do, but and it's, it's you, you are this, you are that. Yeah. And you don't know who it is, and you're thinking, is that you know, is that the, an astronaut? Is that the guy who went to the moon, or is that the guy who? Is that Elton John, oh, and, you know, yeah. whatever, a famous singer or something? And this one that they did on Christmas Day was called the Champion, and it was a very special edition because a lot of their editions are not suitable for children, but this one was suitable for the whole family. Wow. And guess who they were celebrating? Ruth. Gator Bins Ginsburg, which by the Ruth way, Bader Ruth Bader Ginsburg, which I always have a little problem saying, but you know what, I don't, I don't have, I have actually no problem with that, except for the fact that they don't have one for Clarence Thomas. They don't have one for Gorsuch. They don't have one for Brett Kavanaugh. 
They just have one for the, you know, for, yeah. so it's all woke, woke, woke. And of course, apparently, according to the show, she basically, I, she was basically a suffragette, apparently, basically. She did more for women's rights than any suffragette, apparently. I missed that. I must have missed that in the history lessons. But you know what? We have perused, we have perused everything, looking for entertainment that gets you away from all the politics, and we have found a solution. And we found a movie, and we're we liking this movie for a lot of reasons. We like the movie. We also like the distribution model. We like the values. We like the whole the whole the whole package. The movie's called Run, Hide, Fight, and we're going to go over now to our movie correspondent Brian Godawa to discuss it. Uh, we interviewed Brian earlier, but let's go over now and talk to Brian about Run, Hide, Fight, the new movie that's available on the Daily Wire uh, website. So we're joined now by Brian Godawa, our regular movie correspondent, and we're going to discuss Run, Hide, Fight. Why are we discussing it today, Anne? Well, it's got an unusual distribution model where the Daily Wire news service, if you like, news uh, online news service, has decided to release this film. I think it's going to be the first of their type. But it's not actually, in a way, their first, because, in fact, they did release Ferguson, yes. uh, which was our film, the filmed version of the play Ferguson, which was based on the transcripts of the grand jury in the Ferguson-Michael Brown case. But they've now decided to kind of do a, an alternative Netflix, I think, is what they're probably planning on doing. And, you know, bypassing the traditional... Gatekeepers, the liberal gatekeepers, the liberal gate, the not nice liberal yes, gatekeepers, yes. and and releasing this movie, and I hope to do a lot, of, a lot more of it. So we watched, and Brian watched. Let's 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 talk to Brian first. So Brian, run, hide, fight. It's about a school shooting. Um, let's quickly watch the trailer. Senior prank day, but we'll see all kinds of dumb stuff today. Swim captain will have Thai food delivered to class, and Becky Vaughn will set up her homemade slip and slide. This is high school. Nothing that happens here matters in the real world. Okay, we are in charge now, so please pull out whichever app you use to do live streaming video. Get them up and running and point it at me. Now! Very disturbing news out of Vernon Central High School. Zoe. Go! Is it safe to say that this might be our guardian angel? Do you want more people to die? That's the last thing I want. I'm gonna kill one person in this room every five minutes. You don't show your face. People aren't gonna remember you. No. They're gonna remember me. Okay. Okay, Brian. What did you think? What did you think? Hit or miss? Well, first of all, uh, when I saw the trailer at first, I was very excited because it, it hinted at good quality acting, number one, and a lot of times conservative movies and uh, the like do not have that. And the storyline itself was a, the kind of story movie that makes me go, oh, that's the kind of movie I want to see. And uh, because the, pre the, the premise of it is it's a Columbine-like school shooting and it's a fictional story. And um, the, the, the heroine, a, a girl, is, uh, who has been taught by her father to survive, and she's struggling with her own uh, issues with lo losing her mother to cancer and such. So she's got a really down, uh, down negative view of life. And, and, but she's also been trained by her father how to hunt. And so she yeah. knows how to use a gun, basically. And so this, as the story progressive, progresses, the uh, school shooters come in with a group of them, take over, 
and they want it to be, you know, broadcast everywhere. You know, it's, it's basically the nihilistic sort of kids who don't really, it's not like they have live for a higher cause. They're literally like the, the ultimate of the Columbine type shooters. You know, they actually have a nihilistic worldview, right? So then the story is about this girl struggling through that very issues of run, hide, fight, which is actually a, you know, a well-known phrase that the FBI created for training how to deal with shooter situations. You know, first run, get out of there as much as you can, hide if you have to, and only lastly do you fight, right? So that's sort of the, the principle of, the, uh, of, of self-defense, at least, you know, with the FBI, what the FBI recommends. And so the girl actually goes through that, that progress as she deals with the issue. And um, the... Uh, the, so, so the acting drew me in um, from the trailer. Yeah. And then when I saw the movie, I have to say, I loved it. I was very impressed. I was blown away, actually, because it, 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 it has the kind of storytelling that I think conservatives are drawn to. Now, when I say that, I don't mean that it's propaganda, because it's not. No. The irony is, is that it's just... It's just incarnate storytelling, incarnating values of such as how do we deal with an active shooter, shooter situation? Do we cower like they did at the, what was the? Parkland, no, Parkland. Oh, no, Parkland. Parkland, yeah, where, you know, where even the security guards cowered and all that kind of stuff and more kids died because of that. Or do we, do we fight back in a way that we are able to at least, you know? And so that you'll never see. I don't think you'll ever see that kind of movie in Hollywood. And like I said, it's not propaganda. It's just simply moral values lived out in a story that was just powerful emotionally and, and, uh, and, and on, 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 on every level, I was, I was very impressed. And I'm like, oh my gosh, finally, finally, this might be the, the, the launch in the direction of movies by those of us. And by the way, now it's really not even conservatives anymore. It's actually anyone who's, who's not leftist yeah. should yeah. love these kinds of movies that Daily Wire is putting out. And look, it's an impossible scenario that they're that they're entering into, right? How, you know, you're not gonna you're not gonna get hundreds of thousands of movies for people to watch. It's one by one. But if we don't fight, if we don't try to mm -hmm. to to create an alternative somehow and at least begin it, then uh, we're just going to be shut out and censored from literally everything. So I'm, I also applaud what Daily Wire is doing in that they're trying to set up that alternate system. Boy, yeah. it's a big. Yeah. It's a big task, though. Regarding the movie, I mean, you're right. Uh, you can always tell a conservative movie by, and sorry, that's unfair, but very often, you know, conservative movies, the acting sometimes isn't 100% because of the difficulty of attracting uh, actors. Um, yeah. um, because their career is over. Many of them want yeah. to act in it, but their career will be over. But also, sometimes it looks different, it feels different, and they don't respect storytelling. Um, and this, this, I mean, this is the ultimate compliment, I think, for this movie, that it looks like every other movie. It sounds like every other movie. It uh, feels like every other but movie. But it's not, yeah, but for now, nowadays, it isn't like every other movie or every other anything because it's not woke in any way. There's nothing woke about or it, right? Or preachy, or preachy. Yeah, it just exactly. seems to avoid exactly. all of that. As you said, you know, what really is paramount is the story, and it's a great story. I mean, my only, my only, my only criticism of the film was I think they might have, and I don't want to spoil it for people, but they might have overplayed the mother role um, I didn't like her intrusion um, as much as, and people who haven't seen it won't understand why I'm saying that, but maybe you'll understand when you watch. Well, you can say she's, I mean, you see it in the opening scene, actually. She's haunted by her mother, 
and her mother has a has a makes appearances as a ghost or whatever. Or whatever. Yeah. I liked it myself, but I can understand how some people might not like the way they're dealing with it. That's fine. And look, I even think that there's a couple of the uh, the villains that weren't actually good actors. The lead villain was was fantastic. Yeah, He's he was a new great. guy. I, I haven't seen him before. But the and, and in terms of the 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 rest of the cast. So it stars Isabel May, who I think she, I think this is. I mean, I think she's been in some other things, but this will probably be her breakout role. Yeah, she's fantastic as the lead, and and you know it's funny too because in a way the movie still does work within the parameters of today's movies, where it's got to be it's got, you know the action movie has to have a woman in the lead, but yeah. they do it well because. Whenever she fight, like she fights another girl, but she doesn't fight a guy, you know, and, and kicks his ass, you know, because that's completely unrealistic, right? So they have her very realistically fighting back, and, and that's fantastic. But then they also have her mother and father are played by Thomas Jane and Rada Mitchell, and these are fantastic actors. I love Thomas Jane. He was... Uh, wasn't he the original Punisher yes. in one of the old yeah. movies? Yeah. Well, yes. And Magda is nodding here. Magda loved the Punisher and, lo and loves Thomas. Yeah. Well. And Thomas Jane is just a great actor, and he has a, a great, uh, his own great moment in there. So, and and then, like I said, you know, the uh, the the villain is played by a, an actor, Eli Braun. I don't know anything about him, but so we have some top notch, top notch actors in there. The the storytelling is worked out from a Hollywood perspective, and I heard that the producer actually is a very experienced Hollywood producer who does these these edgy outside the box yeah. movies. He's a, a outspoken conservative. And that's one of the things that drew him, not that it's conservative because he, he says no. he doesn't like the propaganda, yeah. but he makes these kinds of movies like drag cross concrete, uh, 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 brawl in cell block 99 or whatever. Yeah. What was that? I don't know, but oh, whatever. 99, yeah. Yeah. And um, so he, he does these kind of movies. So uh, it's, it's really got the action and adventure, but it's got, it's got the emotional, the, the main characters are all struggling with emotional issues and they're very realistic that we can people, a lot of people can really identify with. And yeah. even the villains are not demonized. No. Um, one of the, they, they deal with one of the villains, which one of the shooters is, is a kid who, who struggled with being rejected by everyone and laughed at and mocked in yeah. his school. And these are the kinds of things that, that actually do plague uh, some of these shooters in their pasts, you know? Yeah. So it's a very realistic portrayal in that sense, yes. but it's yeah. also quite violent. I'm very sensitive to violence, but I would say for people who are worried about the violence that it didn't, it wasn't awful for me because I think, you know, it wasn't that gratuitous, slowed down, um, very tight close-ups on people being uh, tortured or whatever like that. I mean, people get shot, a lot of people get shot and it's awful and it's particularly doubly, triply awful because you know that they're young people in a high school and yeah. you know that this kind of thing has happened. So it makes it, you know, obviously very resonant, but I didn't find the violence too awful um funny enough well um, brian what would you say i mean i mean obviously it's a it's a it's a red flag it's a warning to people that yes. you know this contains violence but it's quick it's over um it's it's, needed, it's sort it's, of hollywood type of violence it's needed, I think. it's needed for the story as well but it's not quentin tarantino violence where it's no. glorified and all that kind of stuff and the whole point of it is if you this is the problem with christian movies and and uh uh, some some conservative movies is they are afraid to show the evil in its fullness because of fear of turning off the viewers and and, yeah. and you know maybe that audience has that problem but the problem is when you do that you then have villains that the audience does not believe are truly evil and so you're not afraid yeah. of the reality of what they can be and so the message of redemption from that evil or violence the message of how to fight it 
just becomes uh, impotent, right? So yeah. unless you unless you show the accuracy of what this world or what this uh, situation might actually be, and you have this sense of oh my gosh, they really could kill anybody at any moment, yeah. you're not going to believe the story. And yeah, this the story does. I felt that was one of the issues with that movie. I can only imagine was that the father figure in it. I mean, they implied he was an alcoholic. They implied he was a drug, uh, whatever. And he had, but they never showed him with a drink in his hand. One of the rules of Christian movies, you can't show them drinking, you can't show them taking drugs, and you can't show cleavage. You know, all these different rules. And some of them I understand, some of it, but... That movie where the girl went off to Hollywood Oh yeah, yeah, and she went, and she went to the bad, and the, what was and the, the really. What was the movie called? She uh, was a singer. She was a singer. Her father was in a Christian uh, group, and she used to be in a group, and he knew the degradations of the Hollywood life. Anyway, she went off to Hollywood, and the idea is that she ended up in the gutter, and then, but but her ending up in the gutter was, you know, uh, somebody offered her a drink at a party, and somebody tried to kiss her, and she realized, oh my God, this is a den of iniquity. She had a, I, I she had a burger after midnight, you know. It was yeah. it was literally that kind of thing, yeah. Yeah, I don't know because I don't tend to watch the Christian movies because they're so bad, and I don't believe them. <laughs> just to go back to the mother figure. I mean, I think I I didn't mind the mother figure at the beginning. There was just one scene in it where where you know people were getting killed, and the hero pauses for. Has this long conversation yeah. with the mother when yeah. when when action is really called for rather than I sitting that. there. That that was my issue with the mother. That they, I thought it was a great device, but I thought they over it was overused. But we would highly recommend it. Uh, I mean, highly recommend this movie. Run, yes, hide, we would. Fight, yeah. Daily Wire. And well, also to support the what the initiative of the Daily Wire. I mean, it's a great film. We're not we're not recommending a dud here, but also to you know we would we would support this effort because we like the idea of new and um, and uh, kind of inventive ways of getting around the old yeah. the old guard one thing i would say is that uh, the me the mainstream media are doing their usual trying to ignore this uh, except to 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 basically attack it attack the movie uh, i really like this this is out of awards daily as they've done an article about about this so um there's here's a here's a, a, a so the daily beast did a massive piece attacking uh, the ugly backstory of ben Shavero's first movie run hide fight right how terrible it is right however run hide fight premiered at the venice film festival back when the venice film festival uh, oh, existed existed this is the headline the school shooting movie that stunned the venice film festival into silence and uh, they said uh, it took it took two full hours to stop thinking about Kyle Rankin's 109-minute masterful mind bleep called Run, Hide, Fight. Named after the mantra that kids are taught to remember in order to survive in school. So, so uh, back, it was back last year, it took, it took him hours to stop thinking about this wonderful film. And now it's uh, the world's worst movie. It's an ugly movie. Who uh, is that then? Who is, who is saying all that? Dilly Beast. Till Ben Shapiro got involved, then, then nothing's good and everything's evil. And exactly. you know, the, the set, this is the sad thing that we're going to have to face and deal with. They're going to do this with everything. And this is why now more than ever, we need this alternate, somehow this alternate system of delivery um, of, of entertainment because it's going to get worse and worse for yeah. us. How do people watch this film? Can you explain to people how they how they can get it? As far as I understand, you have to become a member of the Daily Wire, um, and uh, I don't I don't know off the top of my head what the amount that is, but I gotta say, honestly, to support them, yeah. I'm doing it. Yeah. I'm gonna yeah. do it, and uh, I haven't done it yet. I'm doing it today, but you. I'm going to do it to support them for that reason alone. And, you know, you'll have access to all their articles and stuff for free that some that you don't get online for free. Um, and I think 
In other words, I think we need to get behind Daily Wire as an organization, not just for their news stuff, because they're doing the one thing we need to do. And they, it seems like they're the first ones to do it yes. very uh, effectively. And put your money where your mouth is, conservatives, because if yeah. you don't, you're just going to have nothing but Netflix and Amazon. And it's all going to be stuff that hates you. So you were, you were saying there, Brian, about the theme of the movie. It's a brilliant line, but it encapsulates the whole point of the movie, which also makes it transcendent and very powerfully conservative in that sense. And that is the, when the girl, uh, the her heroine is, is uh, on the phone with the villain, the bad guy, she's you know, hiding somewhere. And she says, you know, the irony is after all your hard work, people aren't going to remember you. They're going to remember me. And you know what? I thought that is really, really powerfully true morally because, and, and by the way, Daily Wire has committed to not giving the names of shooters in these incidents because it tends to glorify them, right? That's fantastic. And the reality is, is if there's ever a shooter's incident, the, the villains tend to get glorified in the media unless there is someone who fights back. And if there's ever a hero who fights back, they do tend to be the ones that we remember. You know, if, remember Flight, Flight 93, Todd Beamer, let's roll, right? That's who we remember, not the, not the killers on the flight. And that's what I love about it. And that's what we need for our culture. We need to be glorifying heroes, yeah. not villains. And, and I think that that's the, that's the salvation of our culture. And that's another reason why this movie is such a powerful thematic uh, uh, moment in time. Brian says, Sorry. put your money where your mouth is. Yeah, put your money where your mouth is. And uh, it was a great opening uh, movie. If, if, if all the movies are like this, it bodes very well. Yeah. Okay, Brian. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. We really appreciate it. All the and way from Texas. All the way from Texas. And we will talk to you about the next movie soon, I hope. Yes. Okay. Bye. Thank you. So that's great. And then, you know, and how you find that is you go to the Daily Wire and you yeah, um, sign up. Yes. Um, but in COVID news, because one of the things we said since we stopped doing the daily virus, we decided we would give you up to date virus information. Mm -hmm. So what's the latest big, big news, Phelan, in mean, well, COVID news? Uh, well, there's plenty of big news. But uh, Ireland, interestingly enough, after remember, we used to get letters from people saying sympathizing with us, sympathizing how, because our America is such a mess. Uh, with COVID, even though it wasn't. Uh, how did Ireland, now the headline is, how did Ireland find itself with the highest infection rate in the world? Yes, you've heard it. Ireland has the highest infection rate in the world. And this is from Sky News, but it's, it's, it's a, this is a ongoing story in Ireland and it's sort of leaking out across the Atlantic. Um, so basically, it's, it, Ireland was congratulating itself and now it's the worst ever. And what is the, the what do they blame? They blame basically conservative, they blame Brexit. So they're claiming that Britain- Of course. Britain- Phelan, how could you not know that it I was mean, Brexit? And, 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 but, and they put Brexit in the headline, right? But they, I still don't work out how they're blaming Brexit, right? But this you know, that there's, there's, there's another fact, this is Derville MacDonald, who is a, a commentator slash journalist. There's another factor we have to consider, and that's the constitutional question across the island of Ireland and Brexit. So Ireland is divided into two countries, Northern Ireland and the Republic of Ireland. And uh, she, she says, this has been a factor and the failure in some respects to have an all-island policy and measures that might have mitigated against some of the worst effects of the coronavirus. But the thing is, even without Brexit, there's no all-Ireland health policy. 
there's no I mean they struggled very hard to have an all-Ireland tourist policy and, and it still doesn't work there's a Northern Ireland tourist board and there's a Southern Ireland tourist board they there's no the only all-Ireland thing there is is a rugby team um, and you know so she 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 is blaming Brexit and let me explain Brexit to you Brexit was Trump before Trump Brexit happened in early 2016 and it was the first signal or one of the most obvious signals of that the working class were, were divorcing itself from the liberal elites and embracing whoever was there in Britain it was Brexit in America it was Trump this was a, and so that's why the liberals in the UK and Ireland hate Brexit so much and so they're blaming it for the massive rise in infections in Ireland you know whilst ignoring some other culture local cultural um idiosyncrasies that may contribute to it would you agree Anne? yeah because there's other things about ireland that might cause people to have a sudden um big massive increase in infections and um there's a thing in ireland which americans probably haven't heard of but there's a thing in ireland called the crack and it's spelt c-r-a-i-c it's an irish word and means fun and what it usually entails in ireland is drinking enormous numbers of pints of um alcohol pints of guinness pints of beer um, and I mean enormous numbers of yes. these. And funny enough, Ireland, I mean, in fairness to Irish people and their alcoholism and their massive drinking, in fairness to them, they like to do it with other people. They like to go to the pub and they like to go to the pub in a way that I don't, and Phil and I were talking about this earlier, I don't think any other country in the world no. does it quite the way the Irish do it. They, they and view, we were... They, they, they tend to view, maybe young people are slightly different now, but older people view drinking at home as kind of sacrilegious or something. Oh no, there's, there's something wrong with you. Yes. In Ireland, yeah. The idea is that you do it uh, with other people. Yes. So people go to the pub in Ireland and they honestly, and we happen to know this very well, that people in Ireland drink in, in a way that I don't think people drink anywhere else. So you will find people in Ireland will go, we have met them, we have been there, we have been those people um, who will go to a, and they will drink, you know, literally 16 pints of beer yes, and 26 pints of beer. And this is what people do. And you know, and guess what and we happens? call that Tuesday and we call that Tuesday and guess what happens. So suddenly you've got this pandemic. You've got people being told that they can't go outside. They can't have the crack. And you know what? They're going to get very inventive about ways of getting the crack anyway. And it's very it's very interesting. And, you know, as, as a story that will be told. So Bell Mullet in County Mayo is one of the worst parts of Ireland for um, for this for this problem at the moment. And a friend of mine who lives in the area said to me there's a very large hotel that has um, a very large, you know, socialising situation. And people went and socialised because it's very hard for them not to. And in fairness, by the way, there's a WHO guy, one of the WHO guys that's mm -hmm. in charge. He's Irish and his name is... Where is Mike Ryan. My, Mike Ryan. He looks like a guy who likes a pint. And I think he knows a thing or two about the Irish. And he says, my own country, Ireland, has suffered one of the most acute increases in disease incidences in any country in the world. And not due to the variant, let me add, but due to increased social mixing and reduction of physical distancing. That would be called... The crack. Yes, he said new variants. New variant strains have not been uh, have not been the driver of new transmission. Actually, they're also trying to blame the British for bringing over this new variant strain. He's going, nah, nah. It's, it's all it's just it's, it's all homegrown. It's down. It's down to the Irish. And then I have, I have a question for Phelan because I think this is kind of interesting. Um, and I only know this because Phelan was a journalist who worked for the Financial Times, for the Sunday Times, for lots of big newspapers. And I had never known this that there's a thing called a style book in newspapers and it's it's a great idea by the way because they need it for standardizing how you how you describe certain things and i wanted to ask quest this film this question of film because it did occur to me recently when 
is a mob a mob and when is a protest a protest? When are there, so I've noticed a difference in language. So suddenly in the summer when Santa Monica was burning and when Portland was burning and Seattle was burning, um, the people that were doing the burning were called protesters. Or mostly peaceful protesters. Mo and in fact, mostly peaceful protesters. Now, the people who um, attacked the Capitol on, on January the 6th are being called a mob. And I was going to ask Phelan then, how, how, tell us about the style book. And th sorry, that's one. And the other example of the style book is very interesting as well, is the word doctor to describe someone um, in the newspaper. So for example, Jill Biden, who has a doctorate, apparently, in an education doctorate, is called Dr. Jill Biden, an awful lot in the newspapers. But Rand Paul, who is a medical doctor, is not called Dr. Rand Paul at all. And in fact, Ben Carson, Dr. Ben Carson, who is a world famous neurosurgeon, is rarely called Dr. Ben Carson in the newspapers. Can you explain this to me, Phil, the whole thing now? Well, a lot of the style book is, is a judgment and some of it is not, you know? Um, so you've got, for example, the word mob, basically a style book would tell you, you never use the word mob unless it's in a quote from someone else because a mob is a judgmental term. So you say a protest or you say violent protesters or protests that turn violent. Oh yeah. You would never ever use the word mob. Very good. Uh, back in the old days, back when media pretended to be uh, partisan or non-partisan. Non-partisan. Yeah. So. Uh, for example, you know, there's a whole, I mean, you would not believe the amount of time that's spent discussing whether you describe one group as terrorists or not, because it's a, it's, it, it's important, it, by the way, it's also a value term, right? Yes. And uh, one man's terrorist is another man's freedom fighter. So that is a big problem. So you, you generally actually what we would do when we work for the Irish News in the middle of terrorism, we, we would, we, I don't think we ever used the word terrorism. We used paramilitaries. We used the, called them the IRA. Uh, you called them the UDA, whatever it was, but you know, you, you tended to avoid uh, incendiary terms. Not, not in judgmental terms. Yeah, yeah judgmental. Yeah. You, you know, if you were labeling someone, you, you, you described what they were. You didn't put an opinion on it. But that's going out the window now with with these BLM. I mean, look, there are many things you could describe those BLM protests, but but mostly peaceful is not one of them. Yeah, yeah, and. Uh, if a mostly if a, pe a protest comes out and it lasts for five hours, and the last hour of it is is burning or uh, burning and looting until it's controlled by the police, that's that's a violent protest, you know, because that's the way it ended up and that's what people remember. But these are you know these were all judgments, but now there's no judgment, so everyone has decided that the people in the capital were a mob, even though the only people. Who, now, there may have been a police officer. It's very weird. This police officer died later, and no one has said what he died of. Mm -hmm. uh, the only people who died uh, as a result of direct action in the capital were the protesters. Three of them died of heart attacks or, or medical conditions, and one was shot by the capital police. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's, uh, they definitely were violent protesters or protesters. Uh, and by the way, not all of them. Uh, you know, there was hundreds of thousands there in D.C. and several hundred of them broke into the capital. You know, so there, there's, you know, it's a gray area. So you should not, in the, in the traditional style, manner of a style book, you should not describe them as a mob. They are protesters who attacked the capital, who ran, didn't even ransack the capital. They, you know, sit in, whatever it is. So 
what I'm saying is that was the good old days when the media pretended to be uh, non-partisan and now they've just thrown away all pretense of that and they're as yellow as the yellow journalists uh, have ever been. So in the, and, and on, a, on the Dr. Biden thing, on the Dr. Jill Biden thing, I think it's incredible. So the Washington Examiner helpfully well, well, had, a, people, had well, a look at this. So remind the, people of the background to that. Jill Biden obviously is a doctor. Uh, she's always referred to as a doctor. And in fact, you thought she was a you thought she was a doctor doctor. Yeah, I was very surprised that she wasn't a medical doctor because I just thought that was uh, yes, it was quite a revelation. But the Washington Examiner and had the, uh, no. But then then, then wasn't it? The, yeah, the Wall Street Journal ran an op ed saying we shouldn't refer to her as a doctor. Uh, and, and, uh, well, I, kind of, I think that that piece in the Wall Street Journal was kind of a, it was also kind of a satirical piece. Yes. I think it was kind of a humorous piece. But the guy who, and the guy who wrote it, I mean, whether it was in good taste or not, but he basically said she shouldn't be called Dr. Dr. Biden. Um, and the, the backlash was enormous, right, to this humorous piece. And by the way, an op-ed is not the voice of the Wall Street Journal. It's a, an opinion piece in the Wall Street Journal. And the Wall Street Journal, I think it was just the liberal media were not used to so many, vo uh, an outlet that has many differing voices and opinions but again, in its op-ed pages. But again, Unlike the New York Times, where if, you, if they put in any opposing voices, everyone has to resign. But again, a little bit like what Philip was saying about the style book, there's just, the problem with this particular issue, with the Jill Biden issue, is that there's no consistency in it. So in the head-to-head, in the Times blog, in the New York Times blog, they refer to Dr. Jill Bly Biden 48.3% when they referred to Ben Carson as a doctor who's an actual medical doctor, neurosurgeon, 8.9% of the time. She's called Mrs. Biden just 6.9% of the time, while he's called Mr. Carson 34% of the time. So it makes absolutely no sense at all. And actually, I love this point that, 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 that they brought up, that the Washington Examiner brought up. If she is Dr. Jill Biden, then Newt Gingrich is Dr. Gingrich. Ben Sass is Dr. Sass. And better yet, Supreme Court Justice Neil Gorsuch is Dr. Gorsuch, Esquire. And I, I mean, I never heard, I've certainly never heard of Newt Gingrich being called a doctor. Yeah, and, well, actually, Ron Paul, he's a doctor. Oh yeah, never hear you never hear him talk to they say that they say Rand Paul and he's a doctor, but they never say Dr. Rand Paul. No. I don't get that. So there's no so the idea with the style book, am I right in this film? Yes. The idea of the style book is that there'll be consistency. In fact the yes. reason for it is to have the consistency. Yes. So they've just That's actually it's very useful for things like this actually. How do you refer to someone with a PhD? Um, and actually most style books, by the way, uh, make it clear that you don't refer to someone with a PhD as a doctor. Um, uh, you, you know, you, you reference their PhD, but you never start off with doctor this because it, it's confusing to people. But actual medical doctors are called doctors. Yeah, because people need to know because it's yes. kind of like, yeah. But kind of an, it's sort of an amazing thing anyway. And uh, I just thought it was worth having a look at that. And, and basically what you need to know is that the style book has been thrown out in favor of partisanship and trying to elevate people who have a certain political... Uh, uh, political bent and, and denigrating people if who you, don't. If you want to see just how ridiculous this story is, I recommend you go to the National Review and read Kyle Smith's analysis oh God. of Jill Biden's, I was going to say doctorate, do, doctoral thesis, but actually she, she hasn't got a doctoral, a, do, a proper doctorate even. She's got a dip ed, which is a, uh, it's a I didn't know that she can get, you could do a thing called a dip ed uh, and still become a doctor at the end of it. But her doctorate subject is how to retain students uh, at a community colleges and stop them dropping out. How many, doc how many students 
who dropped out. Do you think she interviewed for this? Uh, I don't know. Doctor a theme? thousand, Phelan, probably a thousand, a couple of thousand, right? Because that's what you normally well, do a when you're doing a doctoral, a doctoral thesis. A couple is correct. She interviewed two ex-students in, in, in a thesis that she got her doctorate for. Nothing like being thorough. Yes. And uh, pilot, I think it's 60 pages, the thesis, and 30 of it is either are the, the results of her uh, survey she sent out to 16 people. Oh, God. Uh, anyway, we're coming to the end of the show. And uh, we don't have a recipe today, but we do have a recipe, perhaps a recipe for um, making cats happy. And this is kind of interesting. And we would like to hear from you because we did go on the interwebs. Um, we have been we have given we're giving treats every now and again to the cats with raw fish and the reaction to raw fish is off the charts you're going to watch the cats getting the raw fish now look at this look at how happy the cats are i looked it up on the interwebs and of course i think according to the interwebs I, i'm killing the cats so could you let me know if i'm killing the cats but we'd by, like to know we'd yeah. like to know because by the way phelan and i were brought up in ireland where people gave what to cats nothing every well in our house we get milk was given to cats and apparently here in America, the new thinking is that it's the worst thing you possibly well, could give them. Never give them milk. On our farm, the cats were, were in charge of their own menu. Anyway, we're going to end today with, I wanted to show, share this little giggle with you. This is a Corona giggle. You know the way people are sending people funny videos during the coronavirus and during the pandemic. I thought this was very funny. Um, and I, you know, have a listen to this. Cardiac surgeon, St. James's Hospital uh, in Ireland. Um, We've taken a very difficult decision, uh, all of the staff in the hospital, uh, doctors, nurses, support staff, the whole lot. We've decided, uh, like the teachers, our workplace is just not safe at the minute, so we're all going to work from home, you know. And, um, yeah, we're going to conduct our work from our home via, you know, Zoom. I, I my very first um, surgery yesterday via Zoom. A few teething problems, like you'd expect. Uh, the patient, I, I told her exactly what to do, but she mixed up the pulmonary valve with the aortic valve. T time of death, 14.33. Like I said, uh, teething problems, you know, you'd expect them with a new way of doing things. But, um, you know, there are pros. You know, I get to drink good coffee. I, I don't have to wear pants. <clears throat> My commute time has been slashed completely. Uh, cons, <clears throat> there are a lot. Look, we will resume um, work and, and go back to our workplace when it is safe to do so, you know. Um, so that's it. Uh, hello to all my patients up there on your own. Hope you're all doing okay. Um, that's it. So new way of doing things. And in other coronavirus news, yes, Phelan, what yes. else? Yes, so the New York Times has a problem. That's news. There's a there's a there's a news headline, breaking news. Yeah, the so, New York Times has so a problem. So given that we're now entering the Biden era, the Biden Harris era, what a what a word, oh. what a phrase. Um, how are they going? And people are continuing to die uh, apparently of the coronavirus, the Chinese coronavirus. Um, how are they going to explain this? How are they going to? Who are they going to blame? Who are they going to blame? And uh, here's their headline. Um, after the White House declined, so they've decided they're going to blame the governors. Right? So here's the, here's the subhead. After the White House declined to pursue a unified national strategy, governors faced off against lobbyists, health, health experts, and a restless public consumed by misinformation. So it's the governors who, who are responsible now for the... Oh, well, that's, the, the, we, we, we agree and, with that, and, by and, the way. We the, agree with that. It's one of these <coughs> massive articles. There's thousands of words. And, uh, but it's not every governor, Anne. Is it Gavin Newsom no. and um, Cuomo? No. 
No, it's actually not them. They get a very, they get a very small mention in That's this massive article. That's a very strange film. Yeah, guess who the governors are. Guess it's actually a, it's a unifying theme. Oh no, are they Republicans? Yeah, Republican are, they all, governors. are they all conservatives? Yeah, the opening story is a health official in Missouri who who was banging her head against a wall, and uh, then they blame Trump. Uh, but actually, very and they talk about over a hundred uh, official health officials have resigned. Uh, across the country because the governors wouldn't listen to them and you know this thing of, of people resigning resigning only matters right if you if you give up your pension ah you know if you're a long-serving public health official who has been whose basic um job up to now has been persecuting small business owners for not uh, having enough wash hand basins in the bathrooms or whatever it is or not keeping the fridge at the right temperature suddenly to be faced with a pandemic is is a massive blow and a massive shock to your system and if you have put in enough time and you're going to get a lucrative enough pension um then re resigning is actually quite a, a good idea you know and a lot, and so they talk about these people resigning from from these republican governors and they don't say i'd like to know did they all get their pensions and how much of a pension they got but they don't go into that. It's like resign. It's like, you know, they sort of imply that they're going to be destitute, but they're not. So the next governor they talk about is Florida. Then the next governor oh. they talk about is South Dakota. Um, and, you know, only then, and, and, and these are all bad people. They didn't require masks. They opened the restaurants too soon. Uh, then the first Democrat governor is deep in the article, Governor Jared Polis of Colorado. And he said they had faced difficult choices in balancing. And, but the problem, the real problem they faced was the single biggest thing that would have made a difference was the clarity of message from the people, at the person at the top, i.e. Trump. And then we go on, um, basically blaming, the, the, blaming everyone. And then we get to this small little section on Governor Cuomo and, and, and de Blasio of New York, uh, how they rushed too quickly to reopen and uh, they deal with the worst death rates. And then we move on to more... Governors, we go to South Carolina. It's a tour around red states, actually. We go to Iowa. We go to Kansas. And uh, then, perhaps nowhere were the consequences of reopening more clear than in Texas. And it's like, what? Like, you know, New York and New Jersey, to this day, have the worst death rates of any states in the Union. And of New York... Was a country. It would I be think the worst country, one of the worst countries in the, the world. One of the worst countries in the world. But they escape uh, this thousands and thousands of words in the uh, in the in the New York Times. Uh, you know, and uh, you know, they're saying if only these states had, had had done the right thing, they could be like New Zealand. New Zealand is a remote island in the Pacific that can control its own borders. States are not. Uh, they can't even control their national borders. And then we go back to someone from Missouri. Then we go to Wisconsin. Um, you know, all these places, well, Wisconsin now doesn't have a Republican governor. Uh, you know, so they keep, and then they do point out, you know, then we go to Kansas again. I just looked at every, and then we go to Florida. Devastating toll, one that was worsened. Then we go back to South Dakota, and then we go to Idaho, all these governors. And then we go to Wyoming. I mean, it's just amazing. And then, you know, one of the bright spots is Washington State, because that's got a Democrat governor. Uh, and then, then they're forced at the end. Actually, it's the last couple <coughs> of paragraphs. They're eventually forced to admit that uh, that actually it doesn't matter what you do; it's resurging everywhere, right? 
In recent days, the virus has been accelerating in nearly every state. So it doesn't make a difference. Doesn't make any difference. And deaths, but that's their way of. And deaths are climbing from Arizona to Connecticut. That's the way of getting around the fact that they, uh, you know, if they were honest, I mean, this is very dishonest. The truth is that the awful toll is in New York, New Jersey, particularly New York, New Jersey. And what's really interesting about New York is that it has a similar, very, very, basically the same population as Florida, but with one third, one third the deaths in Florida compared yeah. to New York. And what's extraordinary, what's even more extraordinary about that is the demographic of who lives in Florida. You have a very, very aging population there who have not died in the numbers of, peop of the people who died in New York. And the reason why people died in such numbers in New York was because Governor Cuomo forced people back into nursing yeah. homes when they were infected. He forced the yeah. nursing homes to take yeah. these people while the boat um, sat, sat empty in the bay, as That's they right. say, and while the Javits Center remained unused because the Javits Center and the, and the, the Mercy boat in the, in, the, in the bay were both Trump's ideas. Yeah, and yes. obviously that would be a bad thing to yeah, do. No, as, as I said, though, in recent days, the virus has been accelerating in every state and deaths were climbing from Arizona to Connecticut. And then they're forced to say, even New York, which became a national model for virus restrictions and testing after its spring, spring crisis, is seeing a resurgence. You know, um, and, uh, you know, winter has always been the biggest threat for any virus. And then this has been the case in California, which is now experiencing one of the worst outbreaks in the nation. Why didn't you spend the last 3,000 words <laughs> analyzing California's what happened in California? response? You know, and then they, they, they end, but then they get over that very quickly. And they end, they give this woman, uh, Dr. Melissa Levine, the director of the Center for Leadership and Public Health Practice at the University of South Florida, condemning the failure of leadership in Florida. And that is the end. And it's like, wow, that was a, that was a tenuous and torturous way of blaming Republicans for killing people. But that's what, I mean, remember Mitt Romney gave that woman cancer? Remember during that? You remember that, that ad, my wife died of cancer and Mitt Romney's to blame. There you yeah, go. That was the good old days. That, you know, that's, that's when, you know, we're, and Mitt Romney is, it, it, you know, just rolled over and has taken it and is still taking it and doing the mainstream media's bidding. Anyway, so. we look forward to seeing you next week. And by the way, next week, we're going to do a special feature next week. And we're going to have help with that from Yvonne Dean Bailey, our uh, head of marketing for digital here. And she is going to explain and help us all look through the landscape of alternative social media platforms that people can, you know. That um, allow and respect free speech. Yes. That actually will not shut you down for having an opinion and will not shut, the platform will not shut down because people don't have an opinion. So where can you go to get away from the despots of Twitter and, and, Facebook and Facebook and all these places. And so we have somebody, we have an expert, Yvonne, will go through all of that and help you navigate where is the best place to go to be for messages and for Facebook type things and all of that. But we will talk to you again next week and hope you have a great week and hope you oh. find distraction from the politics.